0: Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by
1: Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight.
0: Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening. Food for Thought is now rolling into our 18th month of production. Our marketing folks tell us we are the only show of its kind across America. Every week, we bring you updates, news, thoughts, perspectives, and insights about the effect that food insecurity has on us, our families, communities, schools, health care, our economy, and our future. Jerry Brisson and I have said from the beginning we want to change the conversation about food insecurity in Michigan. But it's not one conversation it's many conversations within each one of the areas that food security touches and more. While we've had well over 100 guests on the show, occasionally Jerry and I will steal a show for ourselves to really dig down into a topic where we feel both knowledgeable and hopefully add some insight. Today's show is going to be a bit different. Instead of one topic, we are going to discuss several topics that are current in the news that affect our ability to create food security across the state. We're going to discuss headlines, op-eds, and uglies. You will probably agree with us on some of the points, disagree with us on others, but as Jerry says, if you have 10 people in the room and they all agree, you only needed one of them. That's cool with us. Because we don't always have to agree about how to get this work done. We just know we want to get it done. We'll push back on each other because we both know that iron sharpens iron. We are back in a, just a few moments to discuss the headlines, our opt-eds that have appeared in the Detroit News and Crane's Business Detroit, as well as some national movements and how they are affecting our mission to create food security here in Michigan. We promise to be right back. You come back and be with us.
1: Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org.
0: Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Bill Knight, Jerry Brisson here in the WJR studio. And Jerry, uh, kind of a different show for us today.
1: Well, I heard you mention uglies, and I'm not taking it personally yet. no, no. <laughs> We are going to talk about that because that was a
0: recent—we'll just start there. That was a recent article in Crane's uh, Business Detroit about a group of folks that are building a business, or at least trying uh, to—entrepreneurs build a business of of creating a secondary market for secondary produce. And some of the folks were worried that that would impact our ability to distribute food to hungry neighbors— Uh, because it would be a shortage. And you and I both responded to that with Sherry Welch uh, at Cranes, and I think we gave her some pretty good perspective.
1: Yeah, I mean, so if we take a giant step back from that article and we look at the food supply chain and how it fundamentally works. So over the last few years, produce in the store has gotten brighter and shinier, right? Why is that? Because consumers will leave the bruised apple behind, and they'll always take the apple that isn't bruised, right? So if you're looking at a bin of apples or oranges or strawberries or whatever produce that you're looking at, Mm -hmm. as a consumer, you're going to pick the ones that look best because it's the same price per pound, whichever one you pick, right? right? So, So the result is... The, the big grocery stores don't want to waste their dollars on produce that nobody's going to buy. So they have inspections when, when produce shows up at their store and they make sure that that produce passes muster because they lose money if it doesn't. So they've gotten a lot better at picking the shinier produce. Well, as a result of a natural consequence of supply and demand, People don't take the bruised produce, even though, quite frankly, it's very good. Most of the uglies, as you call them, most of the produce that doesn't have quite the right shape or quite the right color, or maybe it has a bruise, or maybe it has a a little blemish on it somewhere, most of that will work just as well as any other piece of fruit or or vegetable that you would get. But we won't buy them, so that's going to waste. Now, my first exposure to this was Trader Joe's and they in New York. They, they created a store just to say, hey, folks, this is good stuff and we can sell it to you cheaper because it's what the market will bear. You know, I can buy it cheaper than the shiny produce, the beautiful produce that everybody wants. So if I can buy it cheaper, I can sell it cheaper. And you know what? That's a good idea. That's a business model. It's like, let's see if we can get enough consumers to buy the uglies so that we can make a business out of this. And what a great idea. Why not? Right. Why not? Sure. So that was my response in the op ed or in the article. I'm sorry. The the when Sherry called me, she said, what do you think of this? I said, look, if they're going to be good to their employees, if they're going to drive money to the economy, if they're going to help the people that we serve have a job that they can do, that's way better than worrying about whether or not I'm going to have enough secondary market produce. Right. The other reality is there's an awful lot of secondary market produce still available. Farmers, sure. farmers have a lot of control over what they do, but there's a lot of things they don't have control over, and the exact shape and color of everything they grow isn't something they can control. So that product, as long as we're growing food, now maybe there's some genetic manipulation going on that I don't understand well enough to talk about anyway, right. but, but in general, there's going to be food available in the marketplace that isn't perfect, and I think the food banks will get that for as long as we exist
0: yeah so we started looking at this a few years ago when uh harvard hosted a conference about uglies second produces you know that were not going to be sold at retail value and uh, we became introduced with a group there that was starting to develop this business model so one of the takes i took on it with cranes was as you suggest is you know, hey, it's entrepreneurs that are building a business and that means they're going to employ people. That's a good thing. And I don't think we ever want to stand in the way of someone's entrepreneurial opportunity because although it's not as true as it has been, the best social program is a job. Right. Exactly right. And, And particularly a job that pays a living wage. And, um, That's a whole nother headline. Yeah, right. That's right. So, you know, I I did. We all were quoted in this uh, Crane's article. The nonprofit quarterly picked up the article, wrote their own article on it, and grabbed a couple quotes from us as well. I'll share one of mine, not yours. No, share yours. It was awesome. It says, um, at at this point, as we kind of kept our pulse on this, I said, at this point, I think we are all working together to feed hungry neighbors, reduce waste, and lessen the impact on our environment. Now, those are three great wins right there, and I think we can all work together to make that happen.
1: No question. And, and as you said, small business is one of the biggest drivers of employment for everyone, including the people we serve. So good ideas that generate profits. Hey, that's how our economy works, and that's a good way to work, and let's keep promoting that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think it works. <laughs> so let's let it work, yeah. right? So as promised in the show, we're going to cover some of our the national headlines. We're going to do that a little later in the show. Next, though, I want to talk about an uh, op-ed that you wrote for the Detroit News. And it talked about food security and collaboration. And I want to know, I want our listeners to know not just what you wrote, but why you wrote it.
1: Yeah, so at the time, there was a um, there was a executive order that came out about working and food Mm. and there was a suggestion that the uh there was a desire to cut snap by a significant amount and replace those dollars with food boxes right and it was generating a lot of conversation and that was what generated the article
0: okay so we're going to pick that up in the next segment you guys come back and be with us he's jerry brisson i'm dr phil knight this is food for thought on wjr It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back, everybody. Food for Thought, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. And Jerry, as promised, we're going to talk about your op-ed that appeared um, recently in the Detroit News. And, I, I, you know, I took a little refreshing, too. I read it again in, in preparing for the show, but then I had for kind of forgotten the what was going on because the president's budget had come out and he was proposing like $900 billion cut in SNAP slash food stamp benefits over the next 10 years, which would be pretty drastic. And, and, and then the secretary of agriculture, Sonny Perdue, said, well, while that money's being cut that's going to people, I want us as agriculture to make sure that people have access to the same amount of food so we're proposing what was at that time called the Harvest Box, and as you and I have said on the show and our food bank council members, the network of seven food banks, all those executives have said, well, you know, we probably should have this conversation because we know a little bit about moving boxes.
1: Well, and the upsides and downsides of all that, and so really the, the, the biggest point I wanted to make in the article was, let's talk. You know let's talk. Uh, we we all agree that there could be ways to make SNAP and government programs in general better. And and when we do that, let's not let's not do it with the primary purpose to cut money, right? How about if we do it with the primary purpose of accomplishing the goals of the program? So what are the goals of the SNAP program? Let's talk about that. Wait a minute. That's a way (laughs) too radical of an idea. I I know. Let's don't go at this like we
0: want to cut it. Let's go at it so that we can help it become effective and fulfill its actual purpose.
1: I mean, there's the magic. Totally radical idea. And that was the point of the article. It wasn't to say that there's no merit to thinking about would food boxes work for some people, how would it work, what kind of food should be in it. I mean, there's lots of conversations we could have, and we have a lot of data to support the kind of food boxes that work and that don't, and what you have to think about when you look at distribution costs, and -hmm. and shrink, because shrink is everywhere. And so the the more... What does that mean? It it means waste. Yeah. Right. That you start out with a certain amount of product and some of it goes to waste. So with cash, there's, for all intents and purposes, no shrink. Money never goes to waste from a purely what-it-is standpoint. Now, you might waste money, but that's a different issue, right? right, The bottom line is money doesn't spoil by its very nature, but food does. So when you're going to replace on a massive scale something that doesn't spoil with something that does, you can't do a one-to-one comparison on cost. You've got to consider all of the other things that make the food product more or less manageable, and then you've got to add that to the overall cost of the program before you decide how much savings there's going to be.
0: Okay, so let's put this in context. So you have people who are adamant defenders of the SNAP food stamp program, and they're basically saying, leave it alone, don't touch it. Yeah, And then you've got, on the other extreme, people who are saying even in headlines this week, where Louisiana, the state of Louisiana, is considering cutting off all SNAP benefits to its citizens. So why is that? Well, when you read down and get below the the layers of the onion, you find out that there's there's cost factors. It's not so much an ideological problem that they're having. It's more about a money problem in Louisiana. So that's a big difference but nonetheless you have people who said just get away just get rid of you even had a couple of folks who responded to your article even though that's not what you were talking about about let's just get rid of the program but then here in the middle in a central location are some centrists like yourself like me who are saying why don't we just look at the good that the program does and see how we can make it better.
1: I think that's right. I mean, so let's take health. When 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 Gleaners talks about our impact in the community, we have four elements. It's the economic impact we have with the food we distribute, the stability we help households have, the health improvements that people achieve when they're food secure versus when they're not. And empowerment, which is kind of a complicated word in a certain way, but all it really means to us is helping people make the best choices they can, right? It's those areas that we feel like we have the most impact.
0: With the, with the overall goal of moving them towards self-sufficiency. Exactly
1: right. So, so if we look at SNAP and we say, how does it drive those four values for us? right? Well, it certainly is stabilizing its revenue in the household. There's no question it has a strong stabilizing uh, impact on households. But when you look at health, it has a mixed bag. People can get products that would not be prescribed by a doctor at the grocery store using their SNAP dollars. But, so, you know, and I'm going to refrain from mentioning, you know, it, it, any product in particular, but too much sugar, too much salt, too much fat. If you're already overweight or if you already have a medical condition that those things aren't good for you, SNAP isn't maybe the best way for food to be delivered to your household. Maybe you need a more structured way like they do with WIC which is very specific foods, and those are the only foods you can get. Now, right. that conversation has been going on for a long time, and there's proponents and people against the idea, but my thing is there's merit to that conversation. And we can't just say, well, we want it to be this way regardless of the negative consequences of it and be smart, right? So so if we're going to have a food secure community, we have to be willing to look at the various complex things that happen when you implement a program.
0: So the other side of that too, and you know, I don't still want to be a problem spotter. I want to be a problem solver. So I'm not going to bring up a problem about SNAP unless I've got at least some contribution toward a solution. So one of the first problems you mentioned is SNAP gets used for food that's probably not best for any of us, right? The second thing would be, and I asked this question when I first entered the work a few years ago, and said, is SNAP an economic stimulus product or is it an anti-hunger tool? I asked this at a conference in DC to a USDA person just under the undersecretary, and, and they said, Oh, it's an anti hunger tool. I said, Great. Good to know. I appreciate that. Then why the hell are we trying to solve hunger at retail? Right. Right. I mean, I used in my world, I became familiar with point of sale systems. And I know that point-of-sale systems can be programmed so that when I come through the grocery store and use my debit card, it goes, oh, hey, that's Phil. And I, get, and I, I pay whatever's charged. But if I came through and my, didn't give my debit card, I gave my SNAP card, there would be a different pricing structure. And so the SNAP dollar would automatically go further. Now, we know that there are limited, what's the word, uh, profits profits
1: <laughs> how about that for
0: a word <laughs> well i was i, I was going to use another phrase but that will we'll go with profit and so you know that would be limiting there's there's limited ability to make money particularly on produce and things like that we know that right so there's a short window for that but i think still can we have that conversation?
1: Yeah, and that's exactly the right conversation to have. It's not that the, the answer is completely obvious. But what I think is obvious is there's lots of room for conversations to make things more efficient. The other thing people talk a lot about with SNAP is fraud. And from a purely theft standpoint, there's not enough fraud in SNAP to, to be concerned about that. What most people mean is when people use their SNAP card like cash because they sell it to somebody, right? I'm selling you my SNAP benefits, and that's illegal, and you're not supposed to do that, and a lot of people get bothered by that. So, so the other thing I would just you know, put out there is even the food that Gleaners distributes to a household is basically revenue. And people, when they're really in poverty and going through a crisis, are managing a lot of very complex things in their life. If I need to fix the tire on my car, I only have so many ways I can get that done. And and this week, I exchanged food for that tire. Right. The, the, it, it, in reality, that transaction is a lot more understandable than the numbers on a ledger. Because people have very few flexible resources in their life when they're really dirt poor. Well,
0: I want us to pick this up on the other side of the break because I do want us to talk a little bit about work requirements because that's kind of a national headline now. And here in Michigan, with sponsorship of bills, and even the candidates have weighed in on that, I want us to weigh in on it too. So, Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, food for thought on WJR. Come back and be with us. We're going to be right here. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Thanks for listening, everybody. Dr. Phil Knight, Jerry Brisson. We're discussing uglies, op-eds, and headlines. We've talked about your op-ed and led to a little bit of headlines as well. Uh, the situation in Louisiana where, you know, it hit the headlines, Louisiana cutting all benefits, all Benefits to snap recipients, you know, and it was like an ideological thing, the headline read when it's really a it's a fiscal it's a money issue for lose- for the state of Louisiana, so I think that's you know vastly different than the way it was at first portrayed, you know fake news or whatever you want to call it right you right know? so um so then we talked about SNAP in the last one, and we, we I think we made some 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 pretty decent points. And the, the bottom line is, we like to have a conversation conversation about how to make it better,
1: right? And let's do that.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let's let's change let's change the conversation by having one. <laughs> yeah,
1: and having it be a little rational and and actually try to accomplish the goals of the program. Yeah, yeah.
0: marvelous concept yeah. there. <laughs> Instead of going at it just to keep or yeah. cut. So, uh, so. Along that line, um, I think it was pretty cool that today um, U.S. Congressman Dan Kildee took uh, the opportunity to go to the uh, floor of the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. and give a speech about some of the work that the Food Bank Council of Michigan has done in in relation to the self-sufficiency standard. And so uh, I think it'd be pretty cool if we could listen to a little bit of what Representative Kildee said about our work.
2: And it's clear that they're looking at their work at the way we measure poverty in America it doesn't give us the full picture. The way we look at poverty is incomplete. Many families in Michigan technically are above the federal poverty level, but those families struggle to make meet their basic needs, like a roof over their head, enough food on the table, paying their utility bills... Congress has to do more to end poverty in this country. Instead of cutting child care programs, health care, and ending tax incentives like the earned income tax credit, let's help families be self-sufficient. Let's focus on creating good jobs, with raising their wages, supporting families with income that allows them to not just focus just on the basic needs. This is something that we have to do. We are the richest country on the planet. We ought to be able to end poverty.
0: So that's Representative Dan Kildee uh, talking about the self-sufficiency standard that's been produced by the Food Bank Council of Michigan on behalf of our network of seven food banks. And what it essentially does, and we've had a couple of shows about it here on Food for Thought, is as, as Representative Kildee pointed out, we've got a lot of Michigan families that are Uh, above the federal poverty line, but they're nowhere near self-sufficient because they're making the trade-offs that you mentioned about in the last segment.
1: Exactly right. Exactly right. And um, I would would love for this to get more headlines because I think, and another thing we've said several times is the relationship between employment and food security is not what it was. 30 years ago when I started in this work, the relationship between employment and food security was almost... Perfect. If you were employed, you were food secure. It wasn't perfect, but it was close. Right. Now, 47% of the people that need emergency food or supplemental food assistance are employed. So I don't play the blame game. In fact, I like how you say it. Let's not fix the blame. Let's fix the problem. Right. right. And so part of the problem is to manage the, uh, the the programs that are intended to assist people so they can be self-sufficient and get back to that level in their life in the right way. At $11 an hour, you lose more benefits than you gain money until you get to $17 an hour. Right. Well, does that incentivize work? No. Everybody <laughs> knows it, but solving it, saying, well, what is the right amount of help then between 11 and $17 an hour? It is a really complex and difficult conversation.
0: Well, that's what's missing in the conversation and the legislation that is sweeping America, including here in Michigan. Senator Shirky has sponsored legislation that has passed about work requirements. The gubernatorial candidates have come out and given statements about work requirements. Look, we had Chuck Haddon, on the, on the show here, he's the CEO for the Michigan Manufacturing Association. Work is good. Yeah, exactly right. And this is all about able-bodied work. Well, we think everybody, able-bodied person should work. There's a lot of great intrinsic value to work, and it's just not money. I mean, the emotional, the mental, the physical, the, all of those things are good. It's good. Work is good. We're for work. <laughs> But come on, I mean, we live in a state that has less than 5% unemployment. And we've said, Dave Donovan, our economist guy on our board, has said to us, how come we're at 5% unemployment in the state and we're delivering, you guys are delivering more food than you ever have in your life. So it's
1: not just about work, it's also about wage. Yes, and, and you know... I like to address the issue of, uh, uh, you know, people just don't want to work. I hear that. I hear that. Oh, the people, you know, the people you're helping, they just don't want to work. Let me tell you this. 47% of the people I help do work, and they go to work in spite of the fact that after 60 hours of work, they still can't feed their family. And they still go to work. Now, let me ask you, do you want to go to work that bad? Can you imagine the
0: emotional wear and tear that that takes on a person, to get up every day and go, not maybe to one job, but to two, and sometimes three, fight all the things of, of the trade-offs, the flat tire you used in a, in an illustration, always knowing
1: that it's never going to be enough. And going to work anyway. So, I will just simply say there's a continuum. I'm not going to say that everyone I've ever met in this, in this work of mine um, is... Perfectly, you know, motivated, right? There's lazy people and and there's really ambitious people and everything in between. But by and large, I find it to be about the same as anywhere I go. So, So all that to say... If we have good legislation, and if we think carefully about what supports people need, and, and mainly you're talking about food, utility bills, rent, and childcare. Though the, there's other things in the model, but those four things drive most of household budgets: food, utility bills, childcare, and rent. Right. Now, if you have a health concern, that changes everything for you. Believe sure. me, it's one of the biggest reasons people fall into food insecurity when they're otherwise gainfully okay. Right. But taking that out of the equation, what supports do families need to have in place so they can work? And that's really important. And I will say that as we... One of the things I like about the some of the ideas coming out of the House of Representatives around work rules is they do give a certain amount of flexible dollars to states to try to accomplish those other supports now is it enough is it the right is it the right mix well, you know that's a that's a that's a long and fraught conversation but i will simply say the idea of having work requirements, but then thinking about all the other supports you need to have in place to make sure people can work in jobs that make sense for them and make sense for their household and their family. That is a smart idea at some level.
0: Yeah, it is. And let me see if I can pull this back around to the self-sufficiency standard. So that's available on our website at fbcmich.org slash self-sufficiency standard. So you can look at um, all 83 counties with over 700 household types, and you can see exactly how much it costs for them to be self-sufficient so that they don't need government programs and they don't need charity. They don't need us. They don't need anybody. They're self-sufficient. So the the point is we continually measure wrong. And if you do any woodworking whatsoever, you're going to know the rule is measure twice, cut once. Well, it doesn't matter how many times you measure if your measuring tool is not accurate. And that was the point that Representative Kildee was making today on the House floor of the United States House of Representatives in Washington, D.C. We are measuring wrong. And until we adopt something other than the federal poverty measure, we're going to continue to get this wrong. And that's where we've got to start, Jerry. I know it's a big lift, but I'm telling you, I'm going to keep talking about it. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep talking to people. I'm going to try to keep leading that we need to replace the federal poverty measure with something like the self-sufficiency standard.
1: And right now, is it 39 states that have the self-sufficiency 39. standard? Right. So we're only 11 states away from having a uniform measure now. Yeah. We're not that far away. So let's get it done.
0: Why not? I mean, why not us? Why, why not, not now? now? That's it. This is Food for Thought. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. He's Jerry Brisson. We're going to be back here in the WJR studio to continue to talk about uglies, op-eds, and headlines. We'll see you in a minute.
1: It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight.
0: We're back. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here. This show
1: is flying fast. I mean, it's it's just flying.
0: It's a lot of fun. So we talked about um, op-eds, uglies, and headlines. Uh, So here's something that's a headline to us and isn't really out there yet. One of the things we really have taken on here just in the last few weeks, really since our last board meeting, which happened um, into 1st of June, is really trying to connect between the issue of food waste and the food shortage that's in our network right now.
1: Yeah, so I, I, Dr. Gupta put out a really powerful article on his own experience of thinking about people needing food and how many people need food, and then looking at how much food goes to waste. And we had... Uh, Cheryl Kirschenbaum Right, on the show, who told us that 1,400 calories per day per person is being wasted, post-consumer waste. Right. This is after it's purchased. Right. It's going to waste. Right. So, so Dr. Gupta and Cheryl both were coming up with basically the same point. Look, this makes no sense. It makes no sense that you can have that much waste and that much hunger at the same time in the same place. Right. So, so, and when we look at the food shortage we have, last year's harvest was tough. There was an early frost. There were a lot of things that didn't come in from the harvest that usually come in. Uh, things like potatoes and apples and onions and sweet potatoes and carrots. Usually there's lots of inventory out there, even as we get into May and June. And this year, all that stuff ran out in April because there just wasn't as much uh, able to, right. to to come from the harvest last year. So, so as a result, literally millions of pounds of food that we usually have pretty available right now aren't available. So how
0: many pa- million pounds of food are you forecasting that you're going to be short in just Gleaner's Food Bank?
1: Yeah. So from the various sources this year, we're looking at decreases of somewhere between three and five million pounds of food. Wow. Yeah. Now, we're trying to make up for that. Right. I mean, we're not going to be us. satisfied right, yeah. with that. So, I, I mean, you know, I that, that's not the forecast for where I hope we'll end the year. But but in real numbers, that's how much food isn't in the food supply chain now that was in it last year. Right. So, so we're trying to make up for that in a lot of different ways. One of the biggest challenges is transportation. It's hard to get food in. So transportation and getting food in. The USDA food that usually gets spread evenly across the country went disproportionately to hurricane victims, which is, again, not a bad thing. Right. But for those of us in in southeast Michigan who still have an impoverished community that needs help, that diversion of food really is millions of pounds of food and millions of dollars of impact that we're not getting here right now because that food isn't here. So right. transportation, USDA changes, and the harvest last year all combined to be somewhere between three and five million pounds of food that we got to find somewhere else. That's that's the shortfall to us.
0: So I'm just I'm I'm playing with the calculator over here as I'm listening because Gleaners distributes over forty million pounds of food every year. Yep, correct. So just take three to five, and we'll go ten percent. Right. Yep. So four million pounds of food is roughly. million meals that you won't be able to distribute. Now, I think you could pretty much extrapolate that across the entire Food Bank Council network.
1: And even nationally, minus a few areas that need the help because they've had disasters.
0: Right. So, So if you did that across the state and across the nation, and you contrast that with the political maneuverings that are happening with just with the farm bill that covers food from farm to fork, right? And everything in between, including safety and whether, no matter where you're eating it, the farm bill affects food. Right. So, um, you know, there's a kind of whole, the Senate version of the farm bill is kind of holding the line on SNAP, uh, investing some other dollars in some other innovative programs, not quite measuring up to where, uh, Some groups would like the TFAP program, the emergency food program. But all in all, we are very pleased with Senator Stabenow's excellent leadership in holding the line on food security related issues. And, you know, we've had her on the show. Um you and I know her personally. We know where her heart's at, and we stand with her.
1: And she's across the aisle thinker. She really is. I, I admire Debbie and her team. They work really hard to try to really understand the issues. So, without making it a commercial for them, I do really appreciate them, and we have worked with them closely. and And they continue to work with uh, the Republicans in the Senate, and are really doing great bipartisan work. Well,
0: Senator Roberts has been here, the chairman of the Ag Committee in the Senate. He's been to Michigan. Uh, he understands he's from Kansas, yeah right <laughs> like exactly which is right. like I should be like our sister state <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, so, but the point being that I wanted to bring this up for our listeners is uh contrast the less food in our network that's available to us for lots of various reasons that you've talked about with the possibility that there's going to be there are being cuts to programs that help people become food secure, that creates a bit of a nervous time for us.
1: Well there's no there's no doubt about it. Um, again, conversation is important. You know, we, we all need to understand the circumstances that we're operating out of and those circumstances can't be fully expressed on a spreadsheet. You know, there's there's I mean even immigration has a profound impact on farming. So, when you start looking at all the various issues, and these are important issues and they're difficult, and I'm not saying there's an easy answer, we just have to be aware of all of the consequences and not rush to do something because, oh, you know, we happen to control both houses of Congress right now. And again, that goes always. Right. It, when, when the Democrats controlled both houses, they pushed stuff through because they could. When Republicans control houses, they push stuff through because they can. And I would just simply say, quick legislation is often not the best legislation. Well
0: said. Well, it's time for a little food for thought. Lots of issues surrounding our work and helping our hungry neighbors. We talked about some of them today. From work requirements for SNAP and Medicaid to ugly produce. The issues are multifaceted, complex, but not unsolvable if we can talk, talk to one another, listen, understand, gain insight, and reason our different perspectives out. More than ever, I realize that if we are to change the conversation about food security in Michigan, we've got to change the tone of the conversation. The problem with most conversations now is we can't hear what someone is saying because of the way they are saying it. Setting the tone to discuss difficult, intense topics is a lot like spicy foods. We might need to tone it down just a bit so more people can enjoy what we are sharing. That's it for this edition of Food for Thought. Catch Jerry and me every week here on WJR at 9 p.m. And catch up on all of our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. Find me, Dr. Phil14, on Twitter. And until next week, remember, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.